Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 168. My name is Scroobius Pip. Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is the wonderful Eddie Izzard, and it's one of my favourite conversations I've had. Yeah, it's really good fun. We had a really good chat. We only had an hour, but by God, did we pack plenty into that hour. Um, thanks for, for, for all the love that the last few weeks' podcasts have got. Uh, had... Will Porter on last week talking about um, his latest film Detroit as well as Revenant and numerous other films of his I um, had um, Ashlyn Bay B Ashlyn B I always say Bay when it's B um, Ashlyn B on the week before and that was a fantastic one because we talked about stand up about comedy about her drama um, acting in The Fall and many other things um, but also about strangely about men's mental health was a, a direction we went in hugely and that seemed to have got a massive reaction so thank you for tuning into that um i'll get into this podcast i should mention that we're sponsored by speech development records that's my record label if you head to speech speech development records i ironically slurred that um you will be able to get music on cd and vinyl C- cd we still do a thing called cd uh a lot of you youngsters won't know what that is. CD stands for car disc, and it's a disc that you listen to exclusively in cars. Um, so you can buy loads of records on car disc. Um, you can also buy T-shirts and all sorts of stuff. You can buy Distraction Pieces podcast merch um, over there. I need to mention the Distraction Pieces podcast is coming very soon to Dublin, Ireland um, for the Dublin Podcast Festival. I'm going to be at Tivoli Theatre on Thursday, the 21st of September, for a big Distraction Pieces live. I need you guys to work on discussion points and questions. As you'll hear from this interview, if this is your first time listening, as you'll hear from this interview, what we try and do with Distraction Pieces podcast is get these kind of personal and intimate discussions, and I think that I think that works. So therefore, at the live ones, I don't generally have guests because it wouldn't translate live. It would become a performance. I normally have a surprise guest or two, but that's that's to be uh, discussed and revealed. But what I do do is get you guys up to pick, pick topics and come and have a discussion and be part of the podcast. Rather than pass a mic th- through the crowd, I get a cue at the side of the stage and you can come and simply ask my favourite colour or you can pick a topic that you I want to tell me about or talk about or get my opinion on or tell people about so yeah they're great fun so come along to that and I'm not sure if I'm recording this intro a week ahead and it hasn't been announced yet but it should have been announced by now because of the hype and excitement of the distraction pieces podcast on Thursday which make no mistake is the main show I've got some surprise guests um, and I can't wait to meet you all We've decided that on the Friday night, late at night, we're going to do Hardcore Listing meets the Drunk Cast. So Chris and Stu of the Hardcore Listing podcast are going to come with me. I mean, this show's a late night one. It's going to start at half eleven. And we're going to get drunk and do some top five lists for y'all. And we would love for you to join us. That one can only fit, I think, like, like 80 to 100 people in. So... Um, I'm sure I will have posted links, but swoop upon that if you can. There's more space at the Distraction Pieces podcast. Obviously, that is the main live show. I don't want to detract from that. But as a little bonus on Friday night, we're going to come and get drunk with y'all and do some top fives. So that is all the information on that. Um, Big love to everyone who supported the launch of the new shoes. I mean, if you're new to the Distraction Pieces podcast, which is completely viable, like Eddie's a huge guest that will bring loads of new people in, you're going to think, who is this guy who's just doing a podcast but he's talking about a record label, he wants us to to buy his music and merch, he wants us to come and get drunk with him, and he wants us to buy shoes that he's designed, trainers slash boots slash shoes, but yeah, (laughs) huge response to my second collab with OHW Shoes. Um, all details on my pages, go and check them out. But let's get into the podcast with Eddie. It was a wonderful chat. If you if you are new, I mean that's 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 completely viable. Have a browse through the back catalogue. 
we've had some amazing comedians on from Stuart Lee to Richard Herring. I mean, from, from and to, that's not a very long one because they're previous comedy partners. Um, also had, um, as I mentioned, Ashlyn Bake, B, <laughs> Catherine Ryan, Sarah Pascoe, Josie Long, um, Robin Ince, a Rufus Hound, basically a who's who of comedy. Um, and also actors. I've had Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Paddy Considine, Kathy Burke, Stephen Graham, loads of amazing people. Um, I mentioned on this podcast, we briefly touched upon it, but next week's guest is a very special one. Um, it's a journalist called Sawed McKennett, um, and she has gone out and put her life at risk numerous times to interview members of ISIS, members of Al-Qaeda, and to try and understand and, and and get to the bottom of a lot of the horrible things that are going on in the world at the moment. So that's an amazing one. I hope you'll ch- tune in next week f- for that. I know this, you know, we've had three weeks in a row of huge international comedians and actors, but next week's a special one, so check that out. Anyway... This week I was talking to Eddie Izzard and we are, um, it was part of his press run for a, a Victorian Abdul, which comes out um, on September f- 15th. I went to see it and absolutely adored it. I thought it was fantastic. So I recommend you go and check it out. And it caused, yeah, a, 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 a great conversation. Um, I really enjoyed this because people have said before, I'm, I'm always cautious on doing press junkets because generally they'll say you can have 15 or 20 minutes and it's not me being arrogant but that's not what the podcast is no matter how big the guest the point of the podcast is long conversations where we can go all around the houses and get into it so i've only done one no two previously james mcavoy and garth jennings and both of them similarly with eddie here they agreed to give me an hour when He's generally on a day as we talk in the podcast, I think. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or before we started rolling, but he's generally on a day where he's doing three-minute conversations, five-minute conversations. So, you know, it's always a risk and people say, you know, you're not going to get as good a podcast or interview. This this proves you all wrong because this is as good an episode as, as we've ever done on the Traction Pieces podcast. So I'm delighted for you to all hear it. I'm going to stop rambling now. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 168, with Eddie Izzard. We've begun. I'm joined by Eddie Izzard. How are you today, sir? I'm very good. And we're not going to talk about helicopters. Or we might talk about helicopters. We might talk about helicopters. We've we've, we've written cheese off of the off of the cheese list of discussion not going to be points. About, I won't even mention it. The word is not going to be mentioned. I mean, it's just going to be something that every interviewer is asking you on this run. So it's it's not worth going into cheese. That's mm. the obvious thing to go to. Well, I thought when... I'd talk about complete rubbish at the beginning before we get on to to Victoria and Abdul because. No, I like, I can, yes, you would, you would just ask question me before we started whether I'm okay on talking. Because sometimes you go and say, look, it's three minutes, three minutes, get, yeah. get it all out, you know, yeah. you've got to get through to your very, the essence, distill the message of what you're doing on a film. And then I remember going on to, you know, one of those round table things where you're going in and there's yeah. about five people in there and I went, okay, so I'm probably going to come on five minutes and then off. And then food started appearing. I thought, food on a radio program? <laughs> and I sort of worked out, how long am I to? Oh, this is an hour. So, and you're an hour. Yeah. Well. But yeah. no food. It's, it, and no, fo- no food, sadly, but it's to try and, um, starve out the 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 best stories and, and best tales you know for, right food will get you too relaxed i yeah. feel if you're slightly on edge um that then that's all the better but i i like that i like that i like the way that podcasts allow you to d- discuss things in more than just what becomes a soundbite because yep. no matter how passionate you are about a film when you're doing a press junket i remember from touring and doing um a, a lot of radio on tour uh, when i was doing music that it does just you find the best way to say it 
And that's the best way to say it. So that's all you say, you know what I mean? It becomes a soundbite and it loses a bit of the heart and meaning. Yes, I understand what you I'm actually fine with all versions of it. Yeah. Having been, having become a political activist, having done not only stand-up but street performing before that, yeah. learning to talk almost, um, you know, because people could say, I mean, George W. President, he was president for eight yeah. years, and he said the most insane things. Yeah. I mean, I, Donald Trump used to know that he's saying insane things, whereas uh, George W. Bush didn't know that he was saying it. And, yeah, uh, and, and Trump has the kind of technique and advantage of, 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 of literally trumping each insane thing he says, whereas Bush would say w- one insane thing and we'd all analyse that for ages and go, this is mental. Well, this Bush is- would say things, you've got to put food on your family. Thank you, a coffee has just arrived from me. Perfect, thank um, you. You've got to put food on your family. And, and he wouldn't go back to, whoa, I've... I've made a mistake. What did I say? I've made a mistake. Let me, let, me, let me correct that. You need to put food on the table for your family. Yeah. And we know where he was going, but the fact that he didn't even correct it, and you just thought, and he's running the country. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then Trump does it in a different way, where he says just horrible, hateful, disgusting things, or then falls asleep while texting Kofefe. Yeah. And you think, <laughs> this is the same kind of video. It's like this, the opposite side of the coin of... of uh, George Bush Jr. I mean... Scary times. This must have been an interesting role to take and to and to delve into, being a political activist. Because um, particularly at that point, the monarchy and the British um, or nation in general was a very... I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the most questionable points in our history. Surely, through colonialism and everything else, it was, it was a very harsh and 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 dark time uh, really so how was it to kind of go into that and find and find yes, if you look at colonial european colonial history yeah. which um and interestingly victoria on her deathbed she's there the kaiser and kaiser it means caesar if you yeah. if you, I, right. I was talking to my brother's an expert in language and i said kaiser means caesar and uh and tsar nicholas also i think was the grandson of victoria and he's tsar is also caesar wow. which, all caesar, which all means emperor yeah and they, you see the romans couldn't be were going to be kings because the Etruscans kept attacking them, and the Etruscan kings kept attacking yeah. them, and they said, we hate kings. So he says, I'm going to be an emperor. That's the same bloody thing, yeah, just with a different a, word on it. It's a different and word. Disraeli made Victoria Empress of India, because you're not Queen of India. You know, it's all just titles and rubbish. And uh, Anyway, so you, you've got to strip all that away. But yes, dark, we, we all colonial, all uh, European uh, empire-building countries have had very dark days and done very dark things um but i think human beings have done that if you go back to the beginning of time this story really i think the easiest way to talk about victorian abdul is it's a love story across a great divide it's almost romeo and juliet but there's no sex it's um completely completely. it's completely illegal that well the people around them didn't want it it to happen i don't suppose the indian people were that um, affected by all their opinion on it would be from a different perspective, but all the royal household, everyone was against this guy, Abdul Karim, who came into Victoria's life just as a servant, just presenting something to her, and then suddenly sh- he was chatty. He was yeah. essentially a yeah. chatty, a chatty Cathy. Yeah, just some really. guy saying, Oh, look at this, and look at the, the carpets, and I know about this. And so he would talk to her like a human being. Yeah. And no one was. And I think that's still happening in monarchy. They're surrounded. They either choose to, or it just happens because it's the gig. They get surrounded by bowers and scrapers. Yeah. Yes, and those three bags full, sir. Yes, ma'am, no bags three. On and on and on and on and on. And someone who comes in and says, God, this is a bit rubbish. This is about, what's the weather going? John Brown, the, 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 um, story before Mrs. Brown, where yeah. Queen, where Judy Dench first played Queen Victoria, that was another kind of those relationships. This guy, he was a, a gilly, which means a, a groundsman, a gamesman, someone in charge of up at Balmoral working on the, on the land. And he just was a straight talker and just said, this is rubbish. Like, Why are you doing that? And you can't talk to the queen like this. And he did. And he kept insisting on it. And before they could drag him away, she said, I can't like this because it's straight talking. So. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautifully t- told story and it, it, it the way or the simplicity of that of treating someone like a human is wonderful yeah. in it because it starts with um a, a Judy Dench as as Victoria so bored and depressed. done with it all and depressed yes. and finished just because again if if you're at that position again like people dream of being a queen to be a queen to be the queen of England that's yeah. a it's a desire for Anne Royal but when you are that then no one 
dares treat you in any way other than these specific strict, the whole not look in, in the eye. Yeah. And that was the, the, the thing that I loved on the tone of the film in general, but I loved that it all starts with just him giving a little, a cheeky smile, him being excited to be there yeah. and looking her in the eye. And, and that was all it took. That kind of injected her with energy and something that she hadn't had. Cause in general, there's rooms full of people, palaces filled with people who won't look, interact, engage in any way. Cause they can't, cause you can't do that to the queen. Yeah. They either, they won't engage in any way, or if they do interact, it's very, well, it has been very fine weather today, your majesty. What do you feel? You, you don't want to talk about positive. Yeah. You don't say, oh, Vic, Vicky, what's going on with yeah. you? Your hair looks a mess. You know, none of that's going on. Just ordinary human chit-chat. It's yeah. just, I mean, it's probably not been part of her life ever since she became queen. Before that, it was probably a bit more of a real life, but she was still quite stultified. All that monarchy stuff, it's just hereditary privilege is not good for human beings. No, and I mean, it's its a fascinating one. And and and, and you play Bertie, who, who, who goes on obviously to be... King over this seventh Eddie Seven, um, yeah, and again, what a bizarre thing that we have that your your life is essentially w- w- waiting to step into the shoes of your parent, um, yeah, of your mother. Yeah. You don't really learn a trade, particularly. You right. don't have anything that you do to to fit your your role is. I mean, sadly, is waiting for someone to to die. What yeah. a, and that's a why system. And that is why I think he was very. If you watch the film, you'll see. Some people said he's, he's almost uh, kind of buffoon-like, or I mean, uh, Queen Judy Dench as Queen Victoria says so he's an embarrassment. He was basically going and shagging his way around Europe. Yeah, that's what he did. He yeah. had a chair. Google it. He had a chair made for him to have sex in because his girth got too big. That he had to just be, I don't know, lowered into a chair, lowered himself into a chair and said, now people have sex with me. So this is not a good human being. But he was brought up badly. He saw his mother 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night, same with his father. They were like headmaster and headmistress to him. That is the relationship we're talking about. And he's just waiting for this woman to go away, uh, shuffle off the mortal coil, and she's eating herself to death, as you see at the beginning. She's just eaten and Judy had to do these scenes down at Greenwich, this wonderful palace of a room. Uh, and she's just eating profiteroles of profiteroles and soup and soup. Uh, and then suddenly she has a reason to live. And that's why he was angry. I've, I've analyzed that, that Bertie in this instance, I don't think it's even racism that I would call it. I just call it hatred of another person. It doesn't yeah. matter what color skin was, what size was, what sex there were. It just, someone was giving her an extra lease of life. It could have been a hobby. She could have got into, painting or something whatever um he would have been angry with that situation yeah the sadness being an, an extra lease of life that number one to someone that you have in, engaged with your whole life and not had any kind of connection or yep. but and an extra lease, lease of life to let's be blunt someone that you're waiting to die yeah <laughs> so an extra lease of life isn't something you particularly want to see in someone who their existence holds up your destiny as yeah. such. And it's a it's 10 years. I think Abdul Karim gave Victoria extra 10 years of life. If you look at it, he turns up in 1887, she dies in 1901. Yeah. And if you look at everything going into that, her husband had died in 1861. John Brown, who she had a strong relationship with, had died about five, eight years before. Uh, he turns up at the in this 1870s. So there's still she's thinking, what am I doing? What is there to live for? Maybe just profiteroles, eating yeah. food that I like. That's it. And then getting strapped into all these clothes, and suddenly an extra ten years, and that's annoying. And Bertie gets more and more tough, angry, furious, yeah, and uh, wishes this man to be rid of this man, yeah. And he did at, at the end of the story. I mean, it, it, it goes all the way up to Victoria's deathbed. And afterwards, he tried to eradicate the linkage between Victoria and Abdul Karim, the burning of the, the correspondence, the yeah. keepsakes, all of that. And that is true. And it happened in India as well, which we didn't even cover in the film. And that's what's beautiful in, in this story is it is a story that, that, that only came to light years and years and years uh, later when an, another book was being it was his it, diaries it was being written and, investigated, it, and his diaries his found, diaries are yeah. found 2010 yeah. yeah so literally from 2010 and she died in 1901 so over a hundred that's about crazy years, isn't it it's almost his books were almost found his the diaries are almost found the anniversary of bertie died because he died i think in 1911 oh wow um 
Uh, yeah, so it's so it's good that this gets out, especially with India now being in a completely different place. Companies yeah. from India buying up things from Britain. Um, I've just played my stand-up tour. I've played 45 countries doing stand-up comedy, my other day job. And I've yeah. just played India to a 95% Indian audience. Oh, wow. And that was beautiful to be in Bangal- uh, Bangalore, Bangaluru, and uh, Mumbai, Bombay. I give them all both the names because they were – and uh, New Delhi. <laughs> but they it wasn't a, a, an expat audience. It was real. It was uh, yeah. Indian citizens speaking English coming along and getting it. I was going to say, is- how was that? How is that reaction – because so much of comedy is is timing, and you're you're someone obviously who's who's done comedy in different yeah. languages. So Four it is something that you've expressed or experimented and, and broken down to find out how the pauses translate, how the how the movements. It's and all that the translate. same. There is no really. It's just like a story. If you take a story and you put subtitles on it, people still get yeah. it in the same yeah. places. There could be nuances of difference, but in in stand up comedy, say I choose universal themes. Like it's good yeah. to have a universal story that kind of helps translate around the world. And so, uh, I, and when I'm doing stand up, I start with human sacrifice. I say, this isn't, that was insane. We don't do it anymore. It's one of the few things we as human beings have all moved yeah. beyond. But we used to say, the weather is bad. The crops have failed. The gods obviously hate us. So we're going to kill Steve. And yeah. that's going to make it all a lot better because Steve's going to be dead. And you go, why? Steve dies and then the crops get, are you nuts? Yeah. What the hell has Steve got to do with it? Yeah. No, no, no. We're <laughs> going to kill him and then the gods are going to be happy. Why? Uh, cause I think so. Cause I got a big hat on and a bone through my nose. Are you, what? What? If you complain about it, you'll be next. Oh, okay. That's yeah. obviously what it was just a controlling mechanism. It was politics. It wasn't religion. It was, uh, it was rubbish from the moment. It was murder from the day it started. So, and I say that in Moscow. I say that in, in India. I say that in Cape Town. I say that in, in, uh, Oklahoma City. Everyone gets it. It's just a logical thing. So yeah. that's, and that's true. I mean, that's a great point and a, a, and a great statement now. I think people get caught up on the ills of, of, of religion and it's yeah. it's it's in fact it's the hijacking of religion that has been that's, terrible throughout history that's um, a very good analysis i like that word i'm going to use that for you, yeah I mean. yeah it's hijacking. I, I, I spoke to it's it's, it's going to come out after this podcast that's confusing but i spoke to a journalist recently called um aswad mechanic who has gone and and spoken to to members of isis and taught and she's um she was born in Germany so she's a Muslim woman who grew up in the West and again it's fascinating to see that to see that and it's relevant to of, of, of Victoria and Abdul and it feels like a relevant story despite it being a very old story in that we do have this time of of oh Muslims are dangerous for example it's a dangerous a religion it's like no no it's it's the hijacking of that religion that's yes. dangerous and again people will argue against it say well a Catholicism has killed millions of people so like, no Catholicism was used to kill millions of people. Exactly. And it's, it's, the hijacking it's, is a good word. It yeah. is, it's uh, all religions start in a good place. If you take uh, Judaism, that would have started from a good place. It's from Abrahamic faith. They start yeah. from this, uh, probably people trying to think, let's let's live our way, lives in decent ways. Yeah. Um, I think slavery is built into the Bible because that was a standard way of policy. I, just, yeah. I don't believe in a floating God upstairs. So I just think it's all human beings trying to write down things which they think, could give a good positive moral way of yeah. going forward. Well, but the morality has moved over the years from slavery being a standard thing back in Roman times, Greek times, yeah. back in the Bible, until we say, hang on, this is all wrong. We, we've, we need to live better and better lives. So I think Jesus, the Yeshua guy, in the, the starter of a Jewish adjustment religion, that's what he was yeah. doing. He was adjusting the Jewish religion, trying to get it back to basics. Yeah. And it was Paul, Saul, who became Paul, who said, hey, let's make it a completely new thing where anyone can get in. And then I think Muhammad came along and said, hey, no, I think, You've got some good ideas there, but we need to completely get a different thing. And uh, um, and he, they kept modernizing. They were modernizers. And you can look at Nelson Mandela. You can look at uh, Mohandas Gandhi and say these were monarch people trying yeah. to say this is there. Okay, let's get into a better place from where we are. It's- Mohandas Gandhi said, "Can you get get out of India because you can't." run another country, go back to your own country, let yeah. us do it. It doesn't even matter if it goes right or wrong. We have to do this ourselves. Yeah, it's 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 what's the crazy thing about um our history of 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 colonialism is one of the biggest arguments over here is is that we've got all these immigrants coming in and and they refuse to live our way of life and they and things like that. It's ridiculous because it's the that's we all learn from each other, it's enriching. But with colonialism we went over there and made them live our way of life. It's, it's, it's such a bizarre thing. It's, I, I can understand um, the parts of history where there's as horrible as it is, but there's 
raping and pillaging and taking over and spreading out your your people living there. But to go to countries and kind of say, we're not really staying here, but you've you should be how we are, and yeah. then and then then popping home and it's it's a bizarre it, it one. It is the arrogance that is built into or anyone any group that gets into a power situation would have the arrogance to believe that they are right. Yeah. Um, and, and this is a tricky thing for humanity because I think uh, the de- almost the, part of the definition of maturity is having doubt. If you're a mature person, you should be. say, I believe this, but I can, I need to listen to what I other could people be are saying. Yeah, yeah, I could be wrong. But in politics, one of the essence of, of being a political leader is not showing doubt. Yeah. Because if you go forward and say, I think this, but maybe not, and I could be wrong, maybe the other side have the right ideas, you're not going to get elected. They just, well, there's too much swell. That's too much gift to the opposition yeah. and to uh, uh, newspapers who might be of a different persuasion who just spin it around. The, the, the guy's not even sure himself. So the surety is the weird thing that humans actually vote for because because uh, most of the time I suppose we are doubting whether we're right or wrong or not sure and, which way to go. And, and isn't that tragic? It is the, tragic. The, that we have to look for that. You know, ah. Through our own doubts, we have to look, rather than look at someone and go, oh, they've got doubts too. Yeah. Cool. Let's look at them. They're intelligent to think about. I have to go, I've got doubts. I need someone that tells me the yeah. answer is. It's, it's confusing. I mean, real humanity real lives real i mean you can look at ten thousand years of civilization that is it yeah. if you want a simple number yeah. that's it if you take from the beginning of uh caves getting into small settlements groups tribes early tools um it's interesting that hand tools if you pick them up from from africa from asia from anywhere and you look mm-hmm. at them from britain they're the same tools you yeah. made the same flint cutting tools interesting yeah uh, and they didn't change for about a million and a half years a million and a half years of uh of the same type of the same I'm saying 10,000 years yeah. civilization, but before that, you're going back into, um, early hominids going around and, and we don't change. We, uh, the conversations we're having here, they could have had back in, yeah. in Stone Age times without obviously a podcast going on, but just maybe yeah. probably sitting around a fire, yeah. sitting around the fire and saying, well, what do you think, Jack? It wouldn't be Jack, it'd be a different name, but it'd still be saying, well, I'm thinking this. And then someone come, will just come in and say, we're going to smash up the whole thing. These people are drunk, they've been smoking something, whatever, or they're the visiting tribe from over there, they're going to kill us all. All that stuff yeah. has been going on, almost not changing. We've just we've tried to get more refined, tried to get more civilized, but then we throw in the 1930s and then everything goes back to some sort of hellish thing. And now we've got this new politics that's floating around uh, where everyone's again trying out 30s politics and using hatred. And this is a story, Abdul and Kareem, Abdul Kareem and Victoria is a story of love. That is, that is real. I mean, I, if you separate all the stuff that goes with it, I think they did have, they did make each other happy. Yeah. And uh, that is a nice thing in this world. Yeah, completely. It's, it's, it's fascinating uh, what you, you say there about, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess man's constant need for development and progression Yet we don't always understand why or what we're pro- progressing into. Um, we're always adding things as such to to what we think society is, and often it's a regression in our current politics where it does seem to be we've gone so, so far to left and right. But um, I, I, I always remember I was, I was I was talking with someone and they were saying how um, how how homosexuality was accepted in ancient Greece, and again it's it's a misunderstanding. It just it just wasn't. A thing. It wasn't like like there wasn't straight or gay. There was just th- th- dominant and submissive. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like oh, being gay is okay. It's like, it, it wasn't a question that they asked. That's something we brought yeah. in later where we went, is that right or is that wrong? At that point, they just went, Who gives a fuck. We'd, I think it <laughs> was what we want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I would I would uh, describe it as being not defined back then. I think they just it was kind of brushed over a yeah. bit like. Um, sometimes uh, relationships. I mean, well, Bertie had had sex with lots of different women all around Europe, mm-hmm. and that wasn't printed in the newspapers, and it was just allowed to happen. Yeah, and 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 it was lots and lots of different women. These these going for tea. I think it was sex in the afternoon. <laughs> quite often happened, and he would chase people. I think Lily is it Lily Langtree. The story of her becoming an excited. Uh, not an excited, what's the word, becoming a 
a sought-after person yeah. in London society. She came and she wasn't of society, but she she got herself to a certain place and suddenly she was the most desired person because she wasn't... She, she said no quite a lot and then that made everyone say, well, yes, surely yeah. yes, but, yeah. I, but yeah. I'm saying yeah. no. And then exactly. it's... And then and the, Bertie, the Prince of Wales, is saying, I would like to find Lily Langtree. He had a... He had um, a long... He had relationships with her and then he split apart from her. So anyway, this stuff going on, we just wasn't talked about. And being gay, being lesbian, being transgender, that wasn't talked about. Now at least we're openly talking about I knew this when I came out 32 years ago. Such a long time when I came out. Yeah. When I came out. Um, But I thought if I could get, I can can talk. I wasn't even doing stand-up at that time, but I thought I can talk. Probably I can articulate or try and articulate things better. And if I talk more about it, we will be able to have a conversation with it and other people will. And then... We can. I was. I realized that you had to get all of LGBT and particularly transgender knitted into society. Just bring it in so that it's yeah. not on the outskirts. Uh, it's a an aberration. It's a weird thing. The, the, whatever word like you like to define it like that, but actually say actually it's been part of humanity for hundreds and thousands of years, yeah. all the way back to the beginning. It's always been there. We know this, and people have been killed. People have been um, prosecuted against all that during all those hundreds of years. And now I'm saying no. We just it's just genetics. It's built in. I'm pretty sure it's that. I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure it's in there. Yeah. And this is what I do. What I actually do, what's interesting is I do comedy, I do drama, I'm an activist, I run marathons. Those are the things I add to the human existence and sexuality. Who gives a monkeys? Yes. It's nothing to do with you. It's my private life. Um, if you're a completely straight, a Hitler was straight. Yeah. Uh, they should watch out for all straight <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. He like, well, go, we should track them all down, all those straight people. Yeah. So there's no point judging it on on sexuality and uh, being LGBT. So now we are in a much better place due to the activism from, I'd say, the gay and the lesbian uh, communities who have been much more in a better position to do it. And transgender, we're just catching up. We're, we're the T on the... But again, I think, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right and absolutely key there. Certainly when I was gr- gr- growing up, you were the first person that kind of brought to the forefront number one trans culture but number two that gender and sexuality aren't the same thing mm. do you know what i mean that the, 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 there's this assumption that anyone who 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 um who was born m- male and and, and dr- either dresses female or transitions female is then gay or yeah. vice versa it's like, no they're completely unrelated things and and that I mean, was something that originally i saw this great comedian like, oh this amazing gay comedian this it's like Sexuality has nothing to do with this. Yeah. This is this is trans culture rather than. And the than, fact that I'm not gay is, yeah. is weird. But and people said, "Well, you're lying about that." And I said, "Well, so I'm going to take everyone fighting me in the street saying that I'm tra- transvestite, transgender, but I'm going to lie about this. Really, I'm going to take yeah. extra hits. You're going to take that bit." So I said, "Saying okay, I'm a lesbian." They go, "Okay, so that's because it was <laughs> as if I was just hiding from the term." I was saying, "I'm I'm just I don't know why these are the genetics. These are built in because I've known since I was four, and most LGBT people do know since they're four. And what is interesting now is 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 trying to being out, having and I say this advisedly because I knew I having the guts to say it because I knew I had to have the guts, having the balls to say it. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, back when I, my career was just taking off, I'd spent ages trying to get my stand-up career taking off. This is before I was doing drama, and I could feel the stand-up taking off. And I said, I I thought I'd better talk about this. Yeah. In the press. So that it's out there and then I can never go back. And I do this quite often. I will, I will put a flag down. I will say I'm going to run South Africa. Yeah. I'll run 27 miles and 27 days. I said this back in 2012. I went out there. Once I said it, I have to go do it. Do it. I went out there. I did it and I got rhabdomyolysis. I had to stop after four marathons. Oh, wow. I had to come back. I had to get this. I was on a, a prescription drug for cholesterol. My cholesterol was slightly high. It's just a thing you take, but it was really affecting the running. I didn't realize that. I had to get it out of the system, come back, tried to come back. Four years later, went back and I did it. But once I put the flag in and said, this is here, I feel I have to go. And followed up once I talked to the press. It was the Observer. I said to a journalist who I thought would be positive and neutrally sympathetic in the sense that they weren't going to just yeah. go in like a tabloid thing. Um, I said, "This is my sexuality." Boom! It's out there. Got nothing to do with the comedy as well. That was yeah. the key thing. Nothing to do with the comedy. It's got nothing to do with the drama. Here I am playing Bertie, who who knows what his sexual proclivities <laughs> were. Obviously, he's straight. He obviously fancied women. Yeah, but he could have fancied anything else. I don't know. Yeah. But um, 
that shouldn't matter. So I'm, I'm allowed, it seems. I've allowed myself. I've asked permission from the world to say, can I be up for these kind of roles? Stephen Frears, the great director who's took the chance because a, a, um, Leo Davis is the casting agent who I met again last night. And she put my name into it when they were casting. They said, look at this guy. And Stephen Frears came and saw my stand up before casting me as, Bertie, Prince of Wales. Now, if well, you watch the film, have yeah. you seen the film? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, so th- there's such a distance between what I do on stage and, and that. Completely. So you've got to be good enough to realise that I can do that journey. And that journey is not an easy journey. Yeah. I think m- more often happens in comedy is you go to the top of the comedy mountain and then you go directly across on a sort of like a, a like a ski lift yeah. onto the top of and say, can I do a lead role in a drama? 100%. And people say, because your profile is high, come and do this small drama, that's fine. I said, let's go to the bottom of the drama mountain and mm-hmm. I will start scaling that mountain separately. Yeah. So I've been doing that for 24 years. I was talking to my agent last night, 24 years since I went with Nikki Van Gelder in, uh, and she had the guts to take me on. Yeah. And I said, I just want drama roles. So I built my way up and my initial roles, this initial work I did was not good. If you go back and look at it, I think really? for students of, of acting, it would be interesting. Look at my early stuff. It's, it's not good. Um, I even learned to act in a film called Circus, where I had four, only three scenes ended up in it. It was three, it was four very flashy scenes. One got cut out. And in the first, I can't, they, they come out in different order. I'm not sure which one it is, but, um, I, I, I was watching it. They'd done an assembly of the, of the film. Right. When I shot the second scene. Yeah. And I saw the first scene on the assembly because they had a rough assemblage. They were showing it to cast and crew. And I thought, ooh, I am not doing, I am not being, I don't believe me. I'm, this is not working. I'd better do something radical. Cause what I'd done, and it's an interesting thing, cause people would just look at it and you'd just say, this guy is bad. But in fact, what I'd done is I'd switched off all my comedy muscles. I knew the comedy muscles, the comedy yeah. instincts do not, should not be used in a dramatic role because you will get stuck. You don't quite know what to do. You're not that very experienced. So you will lean on your comedy muscles. Mm-hmm. So I'd switch them all off and I had almost no instincts. Yeah. I was not doing anything. I was just reading out lines and I didn't know how to embody the character that I was playing back then, which was a, a, a bookie, a sort of aggressive bookie. Um, I could play him so much better now. But in <laughs> in one of the scenes, I did learn how I did make some interesting choices and uh, I suddenly thought, okay, this is what you've got to be doing. What you were doing before is not good. Change it to this. And I, I do this thing. I, whenever I start a medium, because I've done three mediums of comedy, sketch comedy, street performing, and then stand-up, and now into drama um, and then activism or running marathons, I always start bad. I'm just like every yeah, yeah. average human being. I of start course. anything new, not good, but most of us do this. And then you keep, if you if you have the the determination to keep going you do it and then after a while it gets a little bit better then a bit better then you're okay at that thing and then if you keep pushing it you can get hey that's quite good um look at early jack nicholson early yeah. jack nicholson is not good he's in the horror i think it's the terror or the horror um with boris karloff and he's got a lead role in it it's a roger corman film and i don't think jack is not the jack we know he's yeah. he's he's playing a sort of bright shining leading man kind of role in a in obviously low budget film, but it's nothing's bouncing out of the screen. It's not. Yeah. Jack. And then you go to easy rider and he went and saw easy rider. He said, wow, I'm a star in the supporting role. Yeah. And then you and I've just been listening about, um, uh, through the cuckoo's nest and what Jack brings to that. And it's interesting because he's really a lead character actor, which is the most interesting of all acting, you know, Daniel Day Lewis, lead character actor. Yeah. Character actor is almost used as a negative thing. This person is a character actor, meaning they're not a lead, but lead character actor is what you're trying to get to. Completely. Otherwise, you're just a lead star actor who plays the same the person same person. Over it's, and over again. Look, it's them in yeah, this them, film. And, and, and that's what's great of what you were saying about the casting of Bertie here is that they could see you on stage and say, right, I'm not just putting Eddie here. Do you know what I mean? I'm not putting yeah, Eddie no. as other comedian on stage. I'm casting him to well, play this, this Stephen, character. Stephen Free is making that decision, but he did want the essence of me. Yeah. And I must, uh, I, I hopefully I brought this immense confidence because on stage uh, doing stand up, I've done, I've done it in four yeah. languages now, 45 countries, so many gigs, so many years. There's, there's going to be a bit of confidence. There should be. There should be a, when I play roles, dramatic roles on stage, I do find that I can stand on stage. With no fear, there's just mm. an absence of fear, an unusual absence of fear. Yeah. You should be on the borderline of, of terror. And because I'm actually doing someone else's lines and there's a whole lot of other cast around you, I have found that when I'm 
dramatically on stage, I'm almost floating. It's rather yeah. odd. It's you, a beautiful th- thing to go from being having all the weight on yeah. your shoulders to yeah. then having it spread out. So yeah. wh- whilst it is, it's a different thing. You're about to learn lines. It is a tighter and stricter thing than y- your stand up is necessarily. Because if it's only you, if there's a mistake, then you can correct it. Whereas yeah. if you're part of an ensemble, if there's a mistake, what the fuck happens? Um, but if you've had that pressure all on you, that is, there's, there's, it's always going to be, it's a shared load. There's a weight off. Not everyone is looking at me. They're then, looking at these people as well. But then interestingly, sometimes in those roles, you will get to a point where maybe you're just on stage, certain parts of, certain couple of uh, plays I'm thinking of, where I was on stage on my own. And I, I remember that I, I realized I was getting to a good place. This is when I was, I got the Tony nomination and for Day and the Death of Jericho yeah. on Broadway. And I could, normally you can hear, the the size of the laughter you can hear the 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 loudness of the laughter the force of the laughter so you know you've done well in a comedy because boom and you get yep, the force of the laughter is. but in drama you're not going for the laughs but i could feel the fatness of the silence yeah i could feel how how chewy that 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 i, I can't get the right word for it the right adjective for it but that the, the silence was so palpable it's 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 magnified when you've got that large audience in front of you as as well right because silence it, on your own is one thing but to be doing something dramatic that well it's, the it's whole hold, room is it's silent. holding them in the silence yeah. because if they're not good they would be shifting there would be a yeah. bit of you know there'd be creaking of seats or something there'd be a bit of movement but if you could hold them and look at them, and you know that they're looking at you, thinking, "Where are you?" And you're just in that scene. That, that's that's a nice place, and you need to bring that stillness to to film drama because film drama that camera is so big, it can get so big on you. Yeah, and you better be just sitting in there. Judy Dench does this beautifully. If you watch it, if you watch a film, I quite often go, "Oh, I like this scene." And there's about ten scenes in this film that I really like. Yeah, with Judy, I was counting, well, mentally estimating. It. I think it's about twenty twenty five times. So that a lot of times you go, she's really good in this scene and she's really good. In and watch her in this scene. You know, I, if someone was next to me, I'd be saying that yeah. because moment to moment, she just lives those moments being happy or being very depressed or being almost suicidally down. And, and she drives through. It is a, a queen layer of her role. Yeah. Um, and, and it's great being toe to toe with it. I'm this ex street performer who's facing up to, her as my mum and and we're just fighting we were just fighting all the way through that those characters were just uh at loggerheads yeah but again the the i I think what i loved about the performances of everyone and uh, and your interaction with judy was um was the intimacy of it was the kind of and judy's amazing at this but almost the ignoring or unawareness of a camera and a crew um Bresson speaks about how 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 cinematography or the cinematographer it shouldn't just be documenting a play. A play is in front of an audience. An audience is there. That's that relationship. If all you're doing is allowing a play to play out and putting a camera in front of it, then you're cheating the beauty of, of theatre. Yeah. But rather to allow the viewer to just be in and amongst it, if you know what I mean, to yeah. be right in there and, and in the middle and just engaging. And I got that from. All of Judy's of all of the Victoria and Abdul um, in, in engagement and in, in interaction, particularly when they're on their own, yeah. and and again f- from yours and when everyone's kind of conspiring, it f- it felt as if we were an onlooker rather yeah. than b- behind a camera and, yeah. and that kind of thing. Which yeah, it is beautiful i i um that is yeah that's a good definition of the essence of it the camera should just be in amongst you and you happen to be talking or shouting or crying or someone's dying in front of you and it's just there i i do remember when i was doing it's not it's not your job to be in the right position all this kind of it's it's, it's the director and cameraman cameraman but it's your job to just be in that scene sometime you it's interesting. Sometimes you do need camera awareness, and you can just lean back to yeah, because you could be blocking yourself it's, with it. But um, I do remember it's true I was mastery, doing, right? Though, well, it's it been so relaxed. I remember my first film in a, in a big stage, the the secret agent. I was playing a Russian diplomat. I was in a huge room, um, and I was scared out of my mind. I was saying, "Okay, roll, sir, roll, sir, lock it up." Silence, and I'm going, "Whoa." 
oh, I'm... but now they could scream whatever they wanted to scream. It could be the biggest set ever. Yeah. And I would be, I'm already, I will have locked myself inside the character and the scene from before. And all that, all the stuff around me just drifts away. And I noticed it when it first happened. Uh, what I first noticed it happening was in uh, Treasure Island when I was playing Long John Silver. We were in Puerto Rico. I'd, I was already, it was about five, six weeks into the shoot now. So I was very up to speed. I knew where I was. And they said, look, we've got half an hour to get this shot. That's, that's uh, the scene. Let's do it here quickly down. And so the, the light was going, everything, when the light's going, it, it sort of gets easier in a way. You know, you could panic. Yeah. And oh, what if I get this wrong? You could overthink things, but you said, we well, haven't got time. Just no. do it. Okay. And the camera came right down and it was right. It was almost on my face. And on the faces of the others moving amongst us, and I just, I just was was there, very present. And when I look back at it, I thought, "Woo, that that's really nice," because the camera's just there, and it, we may as well not be there because I I couldn't yeah. see it. And um, and, and that, that's great. That's when you're actually yeah. getting you're becoming a film actor. Oh, that's it. That uh, that mastery comes from experience, right? To be able to lose yourself in it, but also have that awareness. When needed, I'd, I've I've drift, I've started m- moving into acting in recent years, and I had a, I, was, I did a TV show with Stephen Graham and Tom Hardy, and Stephen Graham I think is absolutely amazing. He's done so many, and I'm in this role, and I'm I'm exactly that. I'm like ignore the cameras, all this, all that, and we're just about to roll, and Stevie just grabbed me and went, just move a step to your right, because then you'll be in shot in the background. Because the fact is, this is m- my dialogue, so it's going to be. Th- that camera they use and all this. And then as soon as it rolls, he's completely uh, uh, lost in the scene. But that, that was something at the time that I was like, man, I need to get to that level to be able to lose myself in a character role, but also yeah. moments before we roll to go. So where is everything? And what are we going to be using and shooting? And then bang. Well, yeah. You can it. feel it. I usually am just saying, I'll let the camera find me. But sometimes yeah. I say, where is the camera? Oh, he's over there. Yeah. Um, because I, I can actually, I can do something if someone in front of me is, is moving into it. I can get to a place where I'm just lean back out into the camera so that shot can be used. Otherwise yeah. that shot will be useless. Even no matter where you are, even if you're in a good place sure, on the shot, they'd have to bin it because it wouldn't be useful. Yeah. Um, it's nice being able to get the technique down to, you've got to get it down to, to secondhand, got to get it down yeah. to, you, you've, the technique is automatic. And then, it's like riding a bicycle. I remember when you were a kid, it was all, so how do you get the balance? And then there comes a the point where you're going, you're around the corner, just lean into the corner, thing goes, bit of brake, don't go too fast, you know, don't, not the front brake first, use the back brake first, not the front brake, otherwise you go with the, you know, you picked up all those things so you can get the hang yeah. of being a kid on a bike. I'm still like that on a bike, so you're making me nervous now as I'm thinking. It's a nice analogy. We all go through the learning uh, ride a, to ride a bike, so I like using the analogy. Yeah, I, I mean, it feels like you have you have and are really enjoying the beauty of learning in in the way you are, in, in the middle of it, in t- taking these roles, get, getting these parts. There's there's a Hockney book on the table. Um, I was watching a documentary on... Um, it's called Old Man Crazy to Paint. I can't remember the name of the a, a Japanese artist. But anyway, in that, um, Hockley says how painting is an old man's game and how he he is it's Hakusu, it, Haku, I can't remember, anyway, um, how it's an old man's game right. and that how when you start as an artist, it's something that you should always be improving at. And and the more yes. the longer you're doing it, the more you're learning, the better you're getting. That's not the case with, for example, a marathon running. There's 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 physical restrictions that at some point will see you see your peak and then decline. But acting and stand up, I would I would imagine, are both trades that feel like you can always just keep climbing. No, I actually say you get better at marathon running. I am I ran the twenty seven marathons yeah. in South Africa in twenty seven days easier and better than I ran the 43 and 51 days yeah. in the UK. Um, uh, I got the diet right. We changed it around from high carb, low fat to high fat, low carb. Right. So I'm a totally different shape. If you look at any of the pictures, I'm much bigger in the earlier one. And I'm yeah. much leaner in the second one. Um, when I came back from 27 marathons and the double marathon on the last day, I just carried on training and there was no wind down there was no problem there's no i just carried on it was just like i'd been on a on a mission and come back that's Um, amazing so i think i think 
we th- I have this thing on physicality that the amount that we run about when we were kids, we're supposed to keep that all the way through our lives. Yeah. What you do, because we are na- all natural animals. The wild animals and the domesticated animals are all natural animals. Mm-hmm. But we stopped being wild and we did this civilization thing. Uh, but we're still supposed to move these bodies around yeah. and do the upper body. We used to swing in the trees, and we don't you hardly use any upper body. Yeah. The running around is great. Swimming is much better because you're using upper body. But I think we're supposed to move as much as we did as kids. And the wild animals, take a pride of lions. They will hunt, and their movement through the undergrowth is Pilates up the wazoo. It's yoga. Yeah, yeah of course. The attack is speed sprinting, moving as fast as a car. And then there is the hunting thing, which we have removed ourselves from, which is the killing thing, which is probably maybe still in our DNA, yeah, which yeah. is why wars happen and people, yep. some people unfortunately delight in the, in the killing thing. Uh, so that's tricky. We've taken that out. And then after that, they sit around for days. They, it's like a Sunday lunch. You see lions, they just sit there. And I've been on a safari and they say, don't worry, they're fine because they've eaten yesterday. So they won't be, you know, they wait four days and then they go back and do it again. Yeah. But that, but they are still are fit enough, match fit to run as fast as a car. And yeah. we have lost that match fit Completely. as we get older. And I think we need to have it in. I'm, That's I'm, why the less you use it, the more you will lose it. Completely. I'm, I'm, I'm into, in, 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 into functional fitness. And I was, as a kid, I wasn't into that kind of thing at all because I thought your fitness is because you want to look good and this and that. Mm. And I realized as soon as I started doing CrossFit and all functional fitness that I'm not doing it to take my shirt off or to show off or to be the strongest or fastest or best at anything. It's so that my life is easier and better and nicer. Cause if you are, if you have a level of fitness, yeah. climbing stairs, getting up off of a seat, yeah. just stupid things like that. That sounds crazy, but the stupid things like that aren't, aren't an issue because our bodies are meant to be active. And I'm, I'm going to link that to interesting that Bertie, when I became Bertie, I put on 12 kilograms to of play course, yeah. the, the uh, role but I still needed tailoring and makeup and to get myself into that place and getting how I moved, how I got out of chairs, particularly chairs moving about, going up and down stairs. Yeah. It, I, it became an effort. I made it the effort that a, a man of that size would have. Yeah. He was large and he was a large person, big girth. Um, he just was overeating, you know, and that's not from a happy place. Apparently he used to put a cooked chicken by his bed well, for an evening. Yeah. And it would not be there in the morning. I mean, I suppose hopefully the bones would be there. Just the through the night. Time. Just He would just, that was his, um, that was his nibbles by the thing, just tear into a chicken. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so, so what's the plan going forward? I was, as we're approaching at the hour mark, I'll start to, to get to that point. Is, 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 do, do you ever see yourself zoning in or focusing on 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 one medium or do you need the balance of going from comedy and then coming back to drama for a bit and then and so and so forth i don't think i need the balance i think i've been uh intentionally ambitious on this but i did want to be a dramatic actor when i was seven yeah i dropped acting because i was not being getting any good roles at school probably because i was trying too hard saying look i can say these words really loud or i didn't know quite what how to lean on it no one was giving me any advice so and i discovered python i thought well i'll do the comedy version of that because i seem to be able to i could instinctively do that but i couldn't instinctively seem to make any difference in the drama and also i was too small if when you're a big kid at school then you say okay that's obviously a lead role yeah because they're more believable because they're a taller child i mean that makes sense as why sketch comedy would kind of be a start point because that's it's well, it's, you can it's write your it's, own sketches. yeah it's it's acting still yeah but it's it's comedy so it's yeah it's, it's, well it's, it's because you can write. you can personal nepotism yeah. you can write your own stuff but um I'm now once the stand up started taking off I did essentially I think it's double down you when you double down is it in poker mm-hmm. or in in blackjack I think you double down yeah. and I started having a separate acting career and a dramatic acting career and a surreal comedy career. And you don't know, that's not a standard procedure. No. I've been trying to bring up the drama. And so the drama's now in a very good place. That's what I want. I want more and more interesting roles. I'm writing films now. Um, I'm going to do both of them because I can, but it's not, it's not supposed to be allowed. No. But I'm pushing for it to be allowed. And they seem to have allowed me, people seem to be reacting very positively to what I've done here. And um, as if, 
you know, and they're going, oh, wow, this is good. I go, yes, this is what I've been Yeah, but that's, but that's what's fascinating, I think. And it's what fascinates me about your path and journey is a lot of the experience you've gained has been acting in on 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 TV in America. So it's kind of yeah. out of the UK of, of you slightly. And maybe, um, I don't, obviously I know you're, you're, you're globally known, but I feel on American TV, it won't be as, particularly in those early roles, it won't be quite as, oh, that's Eddie Izzard. Do you know what I mean? Right. You're getting to keep those careers separate while you were developing the the drama. Well, well there was the, the big, the way actually, I suppose two, the main series was The Riches in America, yeah. which wasn't necessarily seen over here unless you were looking for it. But yeah, that was my drama school and my film school rolled together. Yeah. I did get the chance that you, you shoot uh, 45 minutes of drama in seven, was it seven days. Yeah. 45 minutes of drama in seven days of shooting. That's an incredible speed. That means yeah. you shoot an entire feature film length in 14 filming days. And that's insane. Un- yeah. But we moved very fast. We, it was all in, in one like locations where we had the sets built and you say, okay, we're shooting there, shooting there, shooting there. And that's where you could do it because you kept just moving around the sets. Or you yeah. said, okay, we've got to do an outdoor location. Go out on the street. We would actually shoot in the road <laughs> of a suburban um, uh, road. And I remember where we, we took the camera down low. They shot over the verge of a road. So the grass of the verge became someone's back garden. We sat in that. And then because of the angle of the camera, the next house across the road looked like a continuation of the house. The road disappeared, so you thought it was somebody's garden, but it's in fact we're shooting on the side of the road. Amazing! And they would do that, that just because they could, and if, you, if the angle's low, no one cares. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was a great training for me. I mean, and- it, it, that 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 must be amazing training because TV in particular. Um, there is that pressure and there's less time and there's no time to worry that, oh, I don't know my lines or this or that. It's like, no, well, you've got to. It's happening now. Are we shooting that scene? And then yeah. we're on to the next one, particularly yeah. with American TV, how it's often, I mean, I don't think it was the case with Richards, but it's often airing while you're filming yes, at we as were. well. We were, so it's we kind of it's, three episodes ahead. It's madness, but, right? There's no I, time to go, oh, I need a bit more time. It's like, no, we're doing this, and then we're putting it in the can, and we're yeah, on. Yeah, I found that um, <laughs> one night they got to it, and they said, we're going to shoot this extra scene. I didn't have the scene in my head. So they said, don't worry, we'll shoot out the guys who are talking to you first, and then we'll come around and do your coverage. So it gives while, you time to learn it, right? Well, I was learning it. Yeah, I was learning it while they were... Talking to me and they were filming the lines. I'm reading the lines, half reading, reading them and half saying them because I'm just putting them in my head. And I realized at this point that if I panicked, all I would do is panic. Yeah. All the panic does is you spend time. I suppose you, what panic is designed for as a, in the human head is that you don't have to spend time worrying about a thing that's happening because you've filled your mind up with the panic thing, which yeah. is essentially running around and shouting or going, Oh, oh, oh my God, oh my God. So the trick to not panicking is is not panicking. Yeah. It's just simply don't bother doing it because while you're panicking, it's not going to work. Yeah, we've got a surprising amount of control over our minds. Yeah. It's if 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 you choose to think of something else, you can't panic at the same if you're yeah. if you're reading your lines, you can't panic at the same time as reading your lines because yeah. that takes a lot of concentration. There's not exactly. space in your head to do All both. All you'll do is is panic and yeah. panic is actually it's like hyperventilating or it's like jumping up and down on a, on a trampoline or something. It's just something else to do where you don't have to think about the, the horror of, of the failure, your horror of failure or in, in, I think special forces people use it. They, they, yeah. they are trained not to panic when you get very close to a panic situation. Cause in that panic time you could do something. You lose you might, beat. Yeah. yeah. You might be able to actually sort out your situation. Whereas if you're panicking, you're not doing anything. So, so how are you finding, um, are writing on on in in film and TV writing on the drama films. side because again I guess it's the combination of the two in many ways because stand up as you were saying it's your words coming out of your mouth just and drama has always been the opposite of that so how's that yes how's that it's, where the words come from doesn't really matter they should just be as good as possible so yeah. I almost have I'm not really bothered about the ownership of words I yeah. just want to do good work if if a lot of scripts were there and I was doing really good lead roles. I wouldn't, because I find writing very difficult, but I do yeah. feel I have stories in me. I have a sense of story and I have a sense of dialogue now. Uh, that is dramatic. The, the films that, the film, first film that I've co-written with Kellen Jones called Six Minutes to Midnight. And, uh, the dialogue that I write tends to be quite flip 
uh, in the set, acerbic. I think acerbic yeah. is a good word because it's not. I don't want it comedic, but there are lines that come out of it in situations which are hopefully interesting and twisted and and dramatic. But but the lines are ironic and acerbic yeah. that come out of it, and I kind of yeah, like yeah. that because it sits nicely. Um, but it, it's not. It's, I'm not doing a comedy. I'm doing a drama. So I will continue to do that because that's what I've worked out in my life is that when I go forward, no one seems to say, hey, come forward. We expect you to do good things. Come forward. Yeah. They actually say, we ex- could you just go away, please? Like when I broke into Pinewood Studios when I was 15 and I got to the front gate and they said, I, I said, I'm going to be in films. They said, I don't care. Go, go away. <laughs> this is Pinewood Studios. But I want, I just, can I just come in and no, piss off. So I found another way to get into Pirate Studios, and I did get in. I used the Who Dare. Uh, I used the Where Eagles Dare. Have um, you ever seen the film Where Eagles yeah, Dare? Yeah. Uh, in that, Clint Eastwood and uh, Richard Burton walk into their, their Schloss Adler, the Eagles' castle, and they walk in using the cunning way of just talking to each other in German. It sounds like it's in English, but yeah. they're saying, "And who was that woman you were saying?" "Uh, Fred was her name." "Yes, Fred. Yes, Fred. How was she?" "Yes, she was great." And the idea that they're two German officers chatting away about some sexual conquest they'd had, and so the guards just let them pass by because they're very casual and chatting yeah. away. And so I did that thing without having, without talking about that. I just sort of marched in. Just yeah. Um, I'm going over there now. Mm. So once I was in, I was there, and I wanted to be in for you know for so long. I've been wanted to be in, get into films. Amazing. I, I think the 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 it's it's a beautiful combination. The 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 work ethic that comes from stand up and yeah. stand up is something that all the stand ups I know when they're not touring, they're gigging constantly or they're writing constantly, and that's some that that that's something that isn't as common in acting and not to say that actors are lazy in any way but you there is often a wait in between projects and i think the translation of going right i've got a wait in between projects so i'm going to write some projects i'm going to write my own project i'm going to write i'm going in for these wonderful roles and that's wonderful and it's an honor and i'm delighted but i'm going to write the roles that i'm not being asked in for and make them my own i think that's a great a great well, combination. It's, it's the way of getting forward. If they're not going to, you know, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not given action movie role. Yeah. Where if they don't say, hey, let's get that transgender guy who's that guy. Let's shove. <laughs> so I, I run 27 marathons in 27 days. I live in my own action yeah. drama that is with the double marathon on the last day, which was tough. Eleven yeah. hours and five minutes of running. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what drew you towards um, marathons? I will wrap up. I know I said like ten minutes ago we're going to end. It is. <laughs> It is uh, elemental. Yeah. It is essential. You can't, the downhill seems as bad. The, the uphill seems as bad. The, the straight along seems bad and the downhill. There's no, yeah. there's no free willing. There's no easy bit. No. And if you do that, people tend to go, well, if you're going to wear high heels and you do marathon running, it can, I, I've seen people in the street, they can't go, well, can't question. fair play, fair yeah. play. Yeah. You know, and if you get a fair play, then, then hopefully someone might review the idea of alternative sexuality and say, you know, because I ran with my painted nails in South Africa Amazing. and Africa is a, unfortunately a, a continent where still people will be anti, quite a lot of people will be in the standard way, anti LGBT. Yeah. And so hopefully they, they, they might think again, thinking, well, I couldn't run 27 marathons. That guy had his nails been painted. He's transgender. He ran those. He did a double marathon on the last day. And hopefully that just f- slowly filters in to, yeah, the mindset of of people around the world saying, "Well, maybe maybe we have to think again." It's it's, it, it's sad that those things are needed, mm. but it's absolutely tr- tr- true. I've I've grown up as a as a Millwall fan, and Millwall have got a great mm. history of racism and all sorts of things. And I remember the turn of Millwall fans as we started to get black players who were our best players, right. and suddenly them going, "Oh." He's all right. And cheering when they score. It's like, you were racist. And now just seeing a black person do something that you admire yes. makes a difference. So I think that's completely relatable that, oh, that person's trans. It's like, oh, but they're running the marathon. Oh, but they're making me laugh. Oh, but yeah. they make me cry in this drop. Oh. Uh, we better rethink. I'm tricked into it. Yeah. Yes, we have to. Perfect. I think all peoples, anyone of any considered minority um, around the world um, should – if you can try and do things that just bounce out of the picture, so yeah. that people say, "Wow, we need we need a Mo Farah here. We need a guy from yeah. Somalia who grew up here, who's uh, who just keeps going and he wins gold medals left, right, and centre, yeah. and, and we can't do this. No one else can do. It. We need a Mo Farah, um, you know. So that's 
these are nice and positive things to put out. And this 21st century is a key century for us. Yeah. Humanity, we have to get it right this century. Otherwise, I think we're going to wipe ourselves off the planet. So the hatred, the separation, the negativity is bad. This film is a story about love across a great divide. And it's a good story to be out now. That's perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely Cheers. chatting. Thanks. Thanks. You've been listening to Squibbish Picks Discretion Pieces. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. That was episode 168 with Eddie Izzard. Thank you for tuning in. As said, if this was your first time listening, we've got a lot of good episodes. So go and have a scroll through the back catalogue. If you if you go to my Instagram, um, at Scroobius Pipio, I posted last week um, a little picture of a load of the actors we've had on and a load of the comedians we've had on so head there for a bit of a browse if you fancy it um i've got loads of really good podcasts recorded so i've recorded one as i've said next week is as so ed mckennett it's mind-blowing it's one of the most uh, in, in, in engaging and amazing conversations i've ever had regardless of the podcast so you're going to enjoy that I've also, I sat down this week with Helen Chamberlain to talk to her for the first time since she has left Soccer AM after 22 years in that seat. So that was a really good chat. I went to her farm and met all of, all of her animals and we had a great chat. It's a conversation that's interrupted constantly by dogs and animals. Like g- g- genuinely, we have to just Calm, calm dogs down there are some, so that's good. Um, I also chatted with Hugo White of the Maccabees, um, who 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 recently they called it a day too. So it's a yeah, it's a good. There's a theme there of people who've recently called it a day on one chapter of their career. So what I'm saying is there's loads of good podcasts ahead. So I'm looking forward to you all enjoying them. I'm also about to launch a little. I'm going to start doing these bonus episodes on a Friday. Can't tell you too much about them yet, but I think you're going to enjoy them. They're going to be a little bit different. It'll still be distraction pieces, and they're going to be a little bonus on a Friday that's a little bit a little bit different. So I'll tell you more about that soon. In fact, this is the first that Buddy Peace has heard about it, who produces the podcast. So he's probably going, what are you talking about? I'm going to have more work to do. Yeah, you are, Buddy. Um, I'll also talk to you about it soon. <laughs> Before I tell the public about it anymore, I should probably tell you about it, mate. So he'll be listening to this and shaking his head. Um, thank you all for tuning in. I'll be back next week. Um, see you all later. Ta-ta.